Ladies and gentlemen, and our friends beyond the binary, it is time to put your ears together for Indie A. You'll give up your pursuit or we will fire at will. Oh, I know. So I want you to find this girl. Can I have a baby? Oh, please. The all-seeing eye. Go ahead. Make my audio drama. Sound engineer, we have a problem. Talking to me? I'm talking to you. Don't see any other actors in this booth. You can't handle the booth! Looking at you, Patreons. Stop, stop the, stop the music, stop, stop it, stop, shh, shh, I don't want them to hear me. Huh? Who, who do you say? Well, I, I was just waiting to talk to today's brilliant, super amazing audio fiction guest and a, a plague of zombie hordes came lumbering round the corner and, and, and loomed at me. I don't know if they're real or if they're cosplaying fans of We're Alive, but I've holed up here in my home studio and well, I hope they either go away or are soothed and lulled by the vocal sounds of my next guest on this show, one of the powerfully brilliant and talented men who brought these kind of zombies to life for the very first time in audio fiction. I do hope they behave themselves, and welcome to Indie AF! With me, Sarah Golding. Enjoy! If I said to you, my guest today is an oft-bearded, quarter-of-a-billion-infected downloads, hugely talented producer, writer, maker of zombie audio fiction, a champion of Bronzeville, an 11th hour and more, a Lego aficionado, author <laughs> of Unmissable and a brilliant AD book, Bombs Always Beep, and winner of many, many, many Best Audio Drama Awards and nominations of Great Accolade. Who would you think of? Well, yeah, me too, of course. Yes, he is here right now. It's the kind and generous brilliance, Casey Wayland. Casey, welcome to the show. Wow, I'm 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 a little uh, humbled by that intro. Well, wow. goodness, I need to add more to it, quite frankly, because I've never met someone who is absolutely one of the the best creatives in this field. You know, I think you are absolutely up there with uh, with everybody who could ever be, you know, given the the best accolades and the time you give to folks like my good self who are just making their way, right? And uh, and the amount of advice that you've given to folks to to help them level up is just wonderful. So I'm very excited to to speak to you today. So welcome. I hope your world is good in this this current crazy we're in. <laughs> it's it's going well. I am uh, I've I've been juggling a lot, to put yeah. it that way. And uh, yes. man, COVID has made things a lot more difficult to record. Yeah. But uh, I've found ways to overcome. And so far, I mean, knock on wood. There's a little sound effect for you. That wasn't my head. Uh, so far, so good. Yes. We've been we've been able to uh, achieve a lot of a lot of good things and still do multicast recording in COVID times, which is yes. complicated. I love that perseverance of a form, right? And then a changing of an art form and a, a more acceptance as well of remote recording too, in some respects, which has been, I think, absolutely wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's the safest way to record if you can do it that way. Mm. I still. I still am a big person to strive to do that in-person thing because yes, I yes. just yeah. it's uh, it it's one of these things if you can do it mm. oof, it's it can be magical in that booth. Yeah, I think we all dream of having a studio like yours and if you've ever seen anything that Casey's ever done you have a wonderful fun working studio with all sorts of materials and and environments to play with, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it it's nice because uh, well, we built it right before uh, COVID hit actually and yeah. we were 
unfortunately not able to use it as much as we wanted to, but very recently we were able to do it again, and yes. uh, we actually did a, a multicast recording with uh, a lot of kid actors oh, for the first time. Fantastic. So. That, that went very well and, and a safe recording, I will say. Superb. Okay, well, as you know, Indie AF is all about finding out for this season how folks have created things from the very nub of an idea to its actual creation and sending off out into the world for people's ears to enjoy. Um, so first burning question I have for you is nothing to do with that, is if you were in a zombie apocalyptic scenario right now with only the item to your left, not including a microphone or laptop, what primary weapon would you have, Casey? What would you do? Where would you go? Who would you hold up with and why? Apparently, I would have a glass globe. Oh, wow. Uh, that's like maybe four inches in diameter that is like one of the little knickknacks on my desk. I'm a big knickknack person, so I got like <laughs> crap everywhere. Um, and where would I go? Yeah, what would you um, do? I'd probably stay in my little bunker here. There's no windows. Okay. There's a secure door. Yep. Um, I probably would be mostly safe in here. Okay, groovy. So let's all head to Casey's house. Safe there. <laughs> <laughs> um, be in the bunker and just stay down here. And I have a fridge and hopefully the power holds out because yes. then there's no windows. So mm -mm. Well, you know. So yeah, there you go. Safe place. Casey's place. Uh, meet you there, folks, if there's ever an issue. Um, pop us on, the, on, on Twitter if you've got any ideas as to where you go what you do and uh, why don't you tag in quirky voices or we're alive and tell us what you do um, secondly uh, burning question number two uh, there's new developments afoot with you and we're alive um, this is the as I say nearly multi-billion downloaded zombie podcast and you're going to be joining Rusty Quill which is very exciting yes. news of late can you tell us any groovy developments there and, and what that means and, and how it came about yeah, so uh, I've been working with the Rusty Quill team in in talks for for a while now. Mm -hmm. uh, we were we were with another podcast host, and we were looking to kind of branch out and do new things. Yeah. And uh, we found that they were very open to new ideas, and and we wanted to explore some new storylines that, you know, for productions like ours, they you know they cost a little bit to get going. Sure. And they were very open to it. So Exciting. I was like, great, this is a this is a, a really amazing opportunity here. And and one of the things that for me, I love to focus on the creation of stuff. And they have yeah. such a great marketing team. They yeah. know how to do all this stuff. They're they're building an, uh, a really great network that is is going to be one of the, the like premier competitions of, you know, audio fiction out mm. there. Like they really are understanding that, hey. Uh, good people stick together and and have the business sense to to make this thing work. Yeah. And so I think that's I think it's a big step in the right direction. And uh, it's opened up some opportunities for us to create uh, our future storylines that we've been uh, we've been brewing and working on for a while. <laughs> yes. And had a couple delays because of COVID, but mm. now we're back on track and producing away with some some great new content. This is so very exciting. Yeah, so huzzas for Rusty Quill and hands across the Atlantic and all that kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> I look forward to seeing seeing what happens next. So so let's rewind a few years <laughs> and uh, go back to the very nub, that little catalyst of an explosion that set off for, for this particular podcast, the, the We're a Life kind of franchise that you've you've been developing over the last few years. So so how did that first idea manifest where did it come from what was your inspiration to get this podcast on the road well uh, let's rewind all the way back to 2009 i guess uh and even a little bit further because that's actually when the initial idea for the concept the story was there mm -hmm. um so i guess what i'll do is i'll start with go to 2009 before i go back a little further mm -hmm. 
Um, so essentially what ended up happening was um, I had done a lot of short films. I had done animations. Uh, I did a lot of feature documentary editing. I had a lot of like production work underneath my belt. And one of the things I was finding out very quickly is that you know, somebody watches a short film or something like that. They only have maybe 15 minutes of immersion. They're not really getting into your story. Mm-hmm. They pretty much are just there for a little while, and then they're gone, and then you never hear from them again. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to tell bigger stories, and I wanted to take, you know, characters to wherever I wanted to take them and and, and tell something, you know, pretty epic. Mm-hmm. And you, you really can't do that on a smaller budget. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had been working in animation at the time, and one of the things I worked on, I spent about three years doing... And the end product, the end result of the animation wasn't that good. I'd actually call it a little bit of a disaster. But in the end, though, I learned that the the greatest thing that came out of that production was the voice recording. Mm -hmm. When I got all the actors in the same place at the same time, recorded them together in a multicast recording setting, I was like, wow, the audio sounds better than the visuals ever, like, could produce. So... Mm -hmm. I was like, why don't we, you know, do something with that? Why don't I create a story that, uh, that you know, had been, I've been brewing on for a while and working on and, and kind of figuring out how to do, and I could do it in audio space and really make it work. Yeah. And so uh, rewind again back to 2004, and I was always wanted to make a, like a serialized audio show about zombies and mm-hmm. about the survival of, of, you know, the people around them. And this was before The Walking Dead ever came out, because yeah. I was like, there's nothing like that on TV. Yeah. And then that ended up coming out right after the audio drama came out. Oh, <laughs> so They copied you. They copied you. <laughs> they, not really. They, I mean, they had concepts before, and, yeah. and really my, my core concept of idea actually came from my service overseas in Iraq. And one of the things that happened there was we had a um, an uh, entire like hotel that they used to cordon off soldiers in, uh-huh. and uh, I was like, that's the greatest zombie scenario right there because you just secure the bottom floor and then you can fill the building with people, yeah. which essentially became the tower, and then mm-hmm. created the characters from there, and and one step led to the other, and. Now it's a full-fledged audio drama. Oh, one of the best. If you are listening to this and you have not yet heard it, I'm jealous of you to to be able to experience it from the from the ground up, as it were. And uh, yeah, and, and with regards to developing that, then is it you've been the sole writer on that, right? Yeah, for, I, it's forever. from the very beginning. Mm. Uh, I, I came up with the concepts very early on and developed the the outline, which ended up becoming the first two seasons, and then expanded from there and. Really, I've just been working on it for years and years and years. And and for a little while there, I did bring in uh, like an assistant writer. And actually, I brought in another assistant writer uh, recently uh-huh. to help expand uh, the series even further. Um, but pretty much all the storylines and stuff I've sort of laid down myself and then, you know, built around them. Yeah, brilliant. And and how do you work on that? Like, do you are you a harsh taskmaster? Do you set yourself like, I'm going to do this over two months? It's going to be done. Or how do you work? What advice would you give to budding writers to to get stuff done and finished? (laughs) That's the tricky part. Even I'm a little uh, I'm a little hesitant to give it like that's the most firm answer on it, because sometimes the the more complex the story is, the longer it takes for you to develop it. Mm. Um, And with We're Alive, it's it's a little tricky because also you're building on a foundation that you've already written and you've already built for a while. So it's almost like you have to stack the cards properly. Otherwise, they'll all fall down. Right. Yeah. So it gets as you as you build. Because also you have to remember all the stuff you've previously written and all the rules you've done. And then you don't want to duplicate themes and yeah. stuff that you've already done in previous 
So it does get tricky, and and that's why like the next iterations uh, that I've been working on, I've taken years to do mm-hmm. because, like, I had to do a lot of world building. The the story of We're Alive, we are advancing. We're doing actually two final storylines. One of them's called We're Alive Descendants, which basically takes a story and moves it 17 years in the future. Wow. So I had to sort of fill in that gap of time and figure out, you know, what sort of changes the world has had. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is a um, a story that takes place on Catalina with, with kids, mm. uh, going back to the very beginning of the outbreak and how they survive getting off the island. So it sort of rewinds the clock a little bit uh, as well. So both of these stories both have, have a lot of development time like for the one that takes place on Catalina we actually had to go to the island and we actually like went through the path that the kids go because we want to make sure it's accurate to the time to the place Mm. um, get some research for stuff on the island find out what makes this place special to get that kind of authenticity that's in there physically go to the actual place it's set Oh yeah, and 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 also do some audio recording there, so you oh, you have like delicious. oh these are the birds that are on the island. This is what the the ocean sounds like. It's very quiet there. Yeah, and and have you managed to do any recording in the live space? Is that or is that too difficult to manage with life going on around? <laughs> it's uh, I haven't really done the live spaces. The the reason why is because I like back in the day when I did like short films. Yeah. One of the the biggest things that I hated was recording in the world of sound and get a lot of interruptions mm. because especially around in California, you have planes, yes. you have helicopters, you have sirens, you'll barking dogs, uh, those inevitable leaf blowers that are everywhere. Um, and I, even even when I go somewhat remote and like I did a re- recording session of some cattle, uh, not too long ago in the field, yeah. I still got way in the distance some construction sounds that I had to edit out later. Okay. And so it's it's just, it's really hard to do anything in the field. While it would be nice and natural for the actors, it's so much easier, it's faster paced, and you can get a lot more done in a studio. Yeah. And then, you know, more control too, because I can edit lines, you know, and splice them together almost yeah. infinitesimally yep. inside a quiet space. This is true, because otherwise, if you're cutting lines within a, a moving live space, yeah, you've got all sorts of overlays and things that are hard to chop out. Yeah, fantastic. And you mentioned research very briefly. I mean, what kind of ways in did you utilize to, to research the characters, their, their backgrounds, the scenarios? Were there any other places you purged for information? Yeah, I mean, well, not so much this season, but like most of the time, if I'm going someplace that is really important to understand for the story, I'll try and go there. Like when we did the original story for We're Alive, when we went to Fort Irwin, I was actually able to find a friend who lived on base oh. and was actually one of the the people there who uh, like understood what was going on. And so we actually got to go uh, at the facility and like really get a boots on ground look at what was going on wow. there. To, to better tell the story and to make it accurate to what was, you know, life would be like there. And, mm. and as a writer, I mean, in the audio space, we're making up everything. Yes. And you, you have to paint a picture for your listeners to understand what's going on there. Yeah. And how can you paint a picture unless you've seen something? Yeah. Unless you really know what's there, you can just, then you're just kind of shooting in the dark, like, I think it might be like this. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes like uh, inauthentic. Yeah. And 
And the reality is, in this space, you want them to be as clear as possible. Yeah, you even know what it smells like. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the smells, the colors, mm. the descriptions, all this stuff is really important to make sure that it is, it's accurate. I love that. And, and you've already talked about a few of the people that you've drawn in already to help you kind of make this as authentic as possible. Uh, what kind of team did you start to assemble in those early days around you to make this? Who, who came along for this ride initially? Uh, I had a couple of people along the way, but inevitably I lost them along the way too because uh, it's it's this is a tough business and it's it's tough to keep up on and uh, I I cannot say how many editors that I went through um, at the time because it's just uh, it's hard it's it's, it's high expectations Mm -hmm. there's a lot of a lot of material um, and and I've dealt with sound designers who are coming from film and then they don't realize how much how much actual time is is in the commitment and Uh, at the end of the day, I would be the one who would be sitting at the computer doing the last passes of editing because it's all, you know, to kind of make sure that it it works and it flows and it's consistent from episode to episode. Yeah. Um, but I just don't have the time to do both at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, to both write and, and produce and edit and all those things. Yeah. Uh, so we, we did lose a couple people along the way. Uh, a couple producers came on and then, and then left. Um, and then now we have a lot of editors. We have, I think, a team of about five or six different editors Fab. who are working on various projects at various times. And um, it's good because also um, we can develop workflows and develop, yeah. you know, what's better to use for this and this and this. And mm. um, also having the studio gives us a consistency to be able to, oh, here's, you know, here's our sound effects library. Here's our music library. Here's all the plugins that you should be using yeah. to make this as easy as possible. Because there's some stuff that you can do while editing that's going to save you time or cost you a lot of time, uh, especially if you want to make changes later on. Yeah. Very destructive methods sometimes. I know there's a lot of editors nodding along with you right now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I mean, is there anything that you would do differently now if you were starting something now? And wanting that that solid team around you to get things done, what would you suggest is best case scenario for folks to to try and aim for, you know, within a, a an achievable budget, shall we say? <laughs> uh, it's well, it depends because if all, all of a sudden then you're going no budget, then it gets much much more difficult. Yeah. Um, because that's the big thing about this is audio takes real time to edit. Yeah. So if say for instance you're producing something that is like maybe an hour or two hours, you just multiply that out by at least eight, yeah. and that's how much time it's gonna take because you have to listen to all the takes, you have to listen to you know, sound effects, and, and, and it's a lot more daunting, I think, and, and time consuming than say editing something on video mm-hmm. because audio, you have to listen to. You can't really scrub or fast forward. I mean, you can, but it doesn't really give you the impression of of like the how something goes. Yeah. So I think one of the big things that I've sort of learned along the way is that if you, if you can break up your post-production a little bit and make it a little bit easier to consume for your editors to, to deal with, mm-hmm. um, I find that that's the best method. Like first, first and foremost is in writing the book, I sort of broke down the production stages of post. Yes. Um, that way it's easier to sort of, you know, go from one stage to the next. And my first step that I always recommend is just doing an assembly cut, mm-hmm. is just putting everything on the timeline in order, all the takes that you have organized in a way where it's clearly easy to find because you know, a file name with the file is really hard to know. Is that is that line is in there? You know, yes. and and hopefully in recording production you've marked, you know, where all this stuff is. Like we have script supervisors who mark time code for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but just putting everything together and having it on the same timeline 
is a task unto itself. Yeah. And so that's that's the I think the first step. Um, and then from there is taking all those assemblies and of, of order and breaking down a vocal cut. Uh-huh. And if you have one person dedicated to doing the assembly and vocal cut, then they're not worried about all the other stuff. They're focusing on the performances. They're focusing on the timing of everything. Yeah. And, oh, which which take works well with this one? And, and maybe half of this line is good and half of this line is unintelligible. Let's merge them together and and make it work. And, and also I find that um, you have to sort of also learn the strengths and weaknesses of your editors. Right. Some editors are really good at sound design. Yeah. But for lack of a better term, they suck when it comes to you know knowing what a good performance is. Okay. Mm. And that's that's tricky. So if you learn the strengths and weaknesses of your editors, then you play to those strengths. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think there's a lot to be said for that distribution of, of talent and uh, and time. I think as the indie fiction world is kind of expanding, there are more people kind of distributing those kind of tasks. Um, and I think I think that saves people's sanity, right? Because there's still a lot of people with the, the 20,000 hats. And, uh, yeah. and, you know, there are people who are yearning to learn. And uh, there are folks, you know, if you put a plea out on Audio Drama Hub, you'll get a range of experienced folks um, wanting to, to come and help. And why not give some of those folks a chance to, to come and help you uh, so you can at least progress perhaps a little bit more <laughs> than you would do yeah. if you were just doing it doing it on your own. And, it, mm. and when doing that, I mean, the great thing about the audio is we I have an editor who's like in uh, Philadelphia, across the country, uh-huh. who I work with. Yeah. And because we, we have a clear production workflow for Pro Tools, like I'll send him a session, he'll edit it, and then he'll send me the session back. I can make modifications and just send him back the the session file. Mm-hmm. He relinks it, and then he's able to to build off of that. So it's a really great way if if you can like determine early on what the best method is for you know uh, a workflow. Mm-hmm. And people don't think about that kind of stuff. Is is you know how you go from pass it from one person to the next? Because uh, just giving him a mix down doesn't really give you a lot of options sometimes. Yeah. When you're like. Maybe it'll be better if I can move this line a little bit to the right or left for timing purposes, mm. and you want to have that freedom. Yeah, superb. And and you also mentioned that you've, you've got, obviously, over the years, developed quite a, a massive library, I'm sure, of sound effects and, and music and things. And, I mean, for, again, for folks making their own stuff now, what kind of uh, tips would you give to folks to to finding things? Or or do you think they should be making their own? What, what do you feel about that? It's a mix because uh, it's all about cost efficiency. Yeah. Um, if you're if you are going out there and recording a sound effect uh, and spending six hours to get one cow, <laughs> it's not it's not worth it. It, yeah. it. It's it's almost if you break down how much your time is worth, um, maybe spending ninety nine cents on that cow sound effect that you need for this, or or spending a couple dollars. Um, if then you multiply it out, like even minimum wage, like say if it's you know not minimum wage, but a, a good wage is like fifteen dollars an hour, and you spent five hours in the field, you multiply that out. Uh, I got to do my math right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna say so five, seventy five dollars. Seventy, you can spend seventy five dollars on sound effects for the equality of what your time is worth so it it really depends on on which is is better but then sometimes i mean if you're going to a variety of places that you know would get a lot of sound effects uh maybe it is worth it then like when we went Mm -hmm. on catalina we would get stuff from the ocean then we get stuff from the land Mm -hmm. we were already there and it made sense to to kind of get it and then you sort of can build these archives of stuff uh little by little or uh, if you happen to have a budget, buying sound effects packs is not that bad. Or there's there's places that have 
like sound effects subscriptions mm. where you can pl- pay a monthly fee and have access to all their their libraries and stuff and and use it that way. Yeah. So there's a lot of options out there. I mean, especially with the growing online uh, b- uh, databases of stuff. Yeah. Like when I first started in 09, none of that was available. So, tumbleweeds. You were yeah. you were out of luck. And even royalty free music was a very, very shallow pool. Where right. now it's, you know, we can find almost anything for, yes. for cheap. There were so many talented folks as well wanting to share their work. And uh, and hats off, I think, for to Mr. McLeod for being one of the pioneers of free music out there. And uh, I think a lot of people are very uh, happy that uh, he decided to, <laughs> to push some stuff out. But I mean, yeah, are there any particular places that you might point people towards i know audio blocks and sound snap and there's there's quite a few sonists isn't there that do quite a few fun packages is there anything you've utilized that um is worth a, a look by folks at all uh let's see here um, as i look up uh, pro sound effects isn't bad okay um that's a it's a it's a pretty gigantic library in there and i think they have um some decent packages uh, I'm I'm trying to actually look up how much those packages are right now. I probably shouldn't be doing that while in an interview, <laughs> uh, but I'm uh, so that's that's a really decent source there. Um, there is a you know, Universal Music Group for uh, for for various musical things. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of uh, there's some specialty libraries and and single downloads uh, available. I mean, uh, Pro Sound Effects is looks like it's on the, a little bit on the more expensive side. Um, but, but I will say though, what I've done in the past, especially, which is very helpful is you can actually, if you budget into your budgets, um, you know, buying sound effects packs, um, and then adding them to your library with every production you do, you just keep on expanding it, um, from, from project to project, which is, which is definitely a a good method because the license stays with the company and then you just kind of build from there. That's how... That's how Warner Brothers and all the rest of them do it, is they just keep on conglomerating and building more and more of their, you know, database. If you build it, sound will come. Yeah, superb. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then you just have more options every yeah. single year as, as things go out. Like, I remember my first library that I got was the the General, and that's a, everyone knows that sound effects pack mm-hmm. uh, from, from back in the day. And that was on CD that I got it. Yes, so, amazing. <laughs> so, and then imagine how difficult that was. Um, <laughs> And even before that, I actually had like a sound effects generator uh, where you had to put in a code to this little box and ah. output a sound effect. And there was like a hundred and that was it. <laughs> wow. I love it. I love it. And look what we have now. We are so lucky people working now, really. And it's folks like Casey who've helped build it from the ground up, right? By doing, right? And so there's no excuse. Listening to this podcast is all about getting you inspired to get up and do it yourself, right? So nothing should stop you. Uh- <laughs> it's, I mean, I, to, to comment on that, I mean, that was one of the reasons I got started in, in doing this is mm. Sound is the great equalizing field. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of people are realizing that where you can go toe-to-toe with a studio mm-hmm. uh, with their multi-million dollar budget. And yeah. if you have the right heart in place, yeah. you can you can beat them. You yeah. can do better than them what they're doing. Oh, I have yes. heard the the professional uh, podcasts nowadays, and I'm listening to ones that are I know have a very large budget. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this sounds like garbage. <laughs> Like this script needed another pass, or mm-hmm. like they, it sounded like they recorded this person in a tin can, right. and they just shoved them in a scene. And you're like, you're supposed to believe they're standing there? Yeah. No, it to- takes you totally out of the illusion of what it is they're doing. Yeah. So believe in what you're doing, folks. I think the indie world is full of such talented people. Don't get disheartened. Keep 
going. <laughs> so um, brilliant. So we've talked a little bit about sort of assembling a team, finding bits. And let's talk a little bit about casting, if we may, because your casts are phenomenal. Like every single um, part of, of, of listening to, to your shows, there's so many rich and wonderful, very talented folks involved. So so what is your, your casting process? How with We're Alive did you even get started with finding your, your talent? That's, I think casting is one of those things that people overlook or they don't think about, mm. but really casting is like, makes your job so much easier directing later. Yeah. And also in, in the audio world, I mean, if you cast two people that sound similar, it's almost like casting two people who look alike on the screen. Uh-huh. It's just, and, and then you get stuck. Yeah. So I, I think casting is one of these things that, that you can spend more time on as, as a producer and as a director. Uh, finding the right voices and not just hiring people that you know. I mean, mm-hmm. yes, it's so nice to be able to be like, oh, hey, I need voices, and these are the seven people that are available that can record that have a good quality. Yep. Um, but it's it's you're it's it's almost a shallow net. It's mm. like great actors are also are not the best fit for every role. Sure. Um, and and that's something that we learned is is we got a lot of talented actors submitting and applying and. They just don't fit the role. Okay. Like they're either too old or too young, or the voice doesn't have that one quality that gives that character the essence. Mm-hmm. But if zing, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 there's there's an inalienable quality that every single character has yeah. on the page that if they don't embody it or they don't feel it and then you get stuck with it, it's not going to make the production shine. Yeah, there's nothing um, you can do to edit that to to work how you envisage. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, it's. Yeah. And and nothing's worse than getting stuck with an uh, an actor or a voice that just doesn't work. And I will say that I have had that happen once mm-hmm. to where I had to actually replace the voice after we recorded them because it just didn't fit. You got to their part and it's almost like, no, it just it just took you out of the mode. It took you out of the, the entire experience. Yep. And uh, it's just like we have to we have to find somebody else. This just does not fit the cake. And uh, as much as I try and fit this round peg in a square hole, mm-hmm. yeah, it just work. doesn't work. Mm. So, so it's casting is, yeah, casting is just getting, getting out there, uh, doing a casting call, having submissions, yeah. hearing the people, seeing them sometimes in person, COVID makes that hard. But um, if, if you can find out, you know, and get a good sense of the person, like have them do a video submission and then also do a callback and then yeah. direct them. Are they directable? Yeah. Can they change their performance? I love that. I wish more people would do that, right? It's almost like as soon as people in the indie world have that script, they want to make it straight away. But there's so much prep that can be done to to then make your life easier later which includes like you've just said that directing of the actors initially just finding out you know how you can how you can help shape them before the final final mix is is, is well they're put in the final mix yeah and and think about it like this like even though it takes a lot more time to do the casting process you're going to save it on the back end when you're actually bringing the actors in to record or recording them remotely or however you want to do it because when you do that if they are right for the role they'll fit in better and you don't have to give them as much direction yeah um and and maybe you're getting three good takes instead of like five eh ones <laughs> yes and nobody wants eh in their shows no it's hard enough to hold people's imaginations yes 
and keep them immersed. But yeah, I mean, we did speak about three, three, four years ago uh, on, from a diva podcast. You came on and talked about casting. So I would strongly suggest folks go back and listen to you waxing lyrical about uh, how you you specifically do your casting a little bit more depth. But um, I mean, working with actors in that directed room in the same space, a few folks I've talked to are quite nervous about doing that, and they've got yeah. experience perhaps from theatre directing and what have you, which is is a different kind of beast doesn't it really um so yeah i I don't know if you've got any any tips you can give confidence to people to just try anything you can say to 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 make them unafraid casey (laughs) i'd say start small um and and this is actually something like i'm i'm i just started teaching yesterday again in person Mm. um and it is an entirely different experience than teaching to a box uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, because like the, you can actually share the energy of the students in the room yes. and I'm actually going to be teaching them directing uh, audio in this particular class Great. Uh, where they're going to bring in actors and direct them um, and that's one of the things I think that a, a lot of people unless you've done it in the room with with actors you don't know what what can be achieved mm-hmm. because when when somebody is is engaging in a crazy heartfelt scene like uh when we did one of my recent productions uh called the division hearts on fire dealt with two sisters on two sides of this conflict and they 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 come together several times in very heated and emotional moments Mm. the the, they fed off the energy of of each other and those scenes came alive because they were reacting to the other person when one person is crying in a room the other person, inalienable, will start crying too, yeah. and I don't know if that works the same way over a box. Mm. Like, it's it's just this emotional connection that we have in person. Yes. That you know, it's like it's you know, it's like dating online versus dating in person. <laughs> There's a big difference <laughs> with the chemistry of, of how it works. Yeah, yeah. And just and there's no reason why I don't think anybody can be like, hey, let's. Let's just go. If you want to do a scene that's outdoors, yeah. let's go set up two microphones outside. Mm-hmm. We'll just two of you. I mean, it won't sound like we're in a, a black box. And let's just do it. Yeah. Get some friends together and try it. Great. You start small and you build from there. Yeah. Love it. Start small and build. I think that's excellent advice. <laughs> Here is a bit where we look at the clips on the show. Do, 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 do. Yeah. And uh, well, let's have a little listen, can we, to some of these fantastic clips you've uh, you've had them to share with us. And I think there's a, a range of really important things to to talk about here. So, with regards to to leading into the clips, I wonder if you would uh, want to to share yourself why you've chosen these and and what uh, as a learning tool you think they'd be useful for for creatives to to listen to and think about <laughs> sure um okay yeah so I, i've included a whole bunch just various ones that i think that sort of uh i think are somewhat exemplary of our style of the things that we've done and and all of the ones that i chose actually do something in the medium that i don't think is done often or done well mm-hmm. that we try to like flex and, and push in that direction uh a lot of them actually are from the production gold rush that we did because Literally, I wrote that story with one of the intentions is let's push the medium of audio. Let's try some things. Let's do some stuff that people haven't done before. Mm-hmm. Um, do th- some things that you know aren't really.
really common in in this medium and and try something and if it doesn't work it doesn't work and yeah. uh, honestly it has it has expanded what I'm doing in my next productions because it's it's a constant experiment you're kind of learning Excellent. something new I love that and that's the whole thing isn't it even one of the very best like your good self is still pushing still wanting to to improve be better and and create this more epic I love that word epic kind of sound um well let's have a little listen to Gloria's violin clip shall we and just see how you've utilized music in this particular scene and uh, we can talk about that in a moment my grandma used to love when I played this one good lord do I miss her Wiley, come on. Keep moving to the elevator. Take care of Come on. He's a good boy. Come Follow, follow. All right. We're in. Hit it. Wow. You're really good. <sighs> well, jinxed it. Thanks. No, no, no. Keep playing. I love it. Upside is clear. But just in case, I brought something extra. You took Saddam's gun? Gold? Dang. You cold. Back pay for all the maintenance I did in this place. There were other guns. Enough to take that one. What are you. Oh, no, no. Oh, not now. Oh. You had to go while we're in here? You must be rubbing off on him. Oh, God. That smells out. There's nowhere to go. Oh, not bad on my side. Oh, no, not you too. <laughs> oh, uh, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, isn't that beautiful, people? <laughs> It's that was honestly uh, you, you let off with probably one of the most complicated scenes that we ever did mm. from the writing to the directing to the recording, all of it. Um, it's there's a lot going on in that scene. And uh, it's 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 tricky because this is also one of those cross cutty scenes where it goes between they're actually spoiler alert. <laughs> a lot of these are going to have some spoilers. So just be be warned. Sure. Um, they're inebriating one of the characters who's playing the violin to escape. Mm. Um, and you have one person with her while the other people are, are trying to go. And mm. um, as she plays, she gets worse and worse showing her state of inebriation and, and where she's at. Yeah. Um, and so it's very complex to do that at the same time. And, and through the writing stage of, you know, how do you lay out these scenes the best way? And, in some ways, I'm like, oh, I could have done this a little better, this a little better. But I think in the end, I was pretty pretty happy with what we did because it was fairly complex to do all of that and the timing of it all. What? That's the end of episode three already? Oh, Mom, I was just enjoying that. Well, isn't he marvelous? And just how does he get that, that richness of sound to his audio fiction and, and pull out those wonderful performances? And oh, what other audio gold treats are in store with gems of advice from KC in the next episode? Because, yes, 
dear listener, there is another episode of Chatterama with the brilliant and inspiring KC Wayland on your podcatcher in perhaps the next 24 hours, you lucky things. Please do rate, review and follow this podcast. Subscribe and tell your audio-making friends. <laughs> it might be useful. You never know. But it's the reason why it exists. Like Thomas the Tank Engine, we hope to be a very useful engine. Oh, and you can even leave comments for us via the Anchor app, and I can insert them into future productions if you like. And remember to tell me your top five audio fictions you know and love and share them with listeners to IndieAF via my email, quirkyvoices at gmail.com. Ping me an MP3 so that folks may find them and share them and enjoy them too. Happy creating all. Until next time. Have fun out there and keep groovy audio. Indie. 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 Indie.